0: Lord, uh, thank you for this chance to be in worship, to bow before you, and, and all that today involves, Lord, uh, from, uh, Lord, I see the plans for the rummage sale, which reminds me of these plans that we have to go to Guatemala and, w- and uh, work there, and Lord, just ask you to be preparing the way before us, that we would glorify you there and be able to reach um, people in need with the news of your love and to serve them. Lord, uh, as I look out, I see uh, Kaylee and Rachel, and I just uh, pray for uh, Tanner, Kaylee, and Griffin, Rachel as, as they prepare for the arrival of their uh, babies, Lord. And just, Lord, ask that you would bless each of them. Lord, that you would bless them with a smooth and easy delivery. Lord, that you bless them with uh, days of, of joy with this new life and all the support and the strength that they need. Bless each one of these children. Pour out your Holy Spirit on each one of them right now. And as they enter into this world, that they would be lights for you and your love. That they would become a man and a woman of God, uh, Lord, as they live the rest of their lives that speak to the love that you have for this world. And we're so excited about the special plans you have for each one of them. Lord, uh, for those lives and these lights that we think of today who are in need of your healing touch, for Sandy. Herb, Lord, for uh, Rose, for Rick, for George, Lord, for all those that we've been lifting up who've uh, been dealing with tough medical diagnoses, with cancer, just ask you, Lord, that you place your hand on them to heal them. Lord, for uh, our community and our world, Lord, in divided times and times where uh, there's a lot of strife, Lord, as we've seen in Akron over this past week, a lot of grief over what's happened with Jalen Walker. Lord, we just ask that you would bring us to a place where we can hear each other, where we can share love and and not hate, and that we would be the kind of people that find ways to connect with people who are different than us and people who have different experiences than us, to show them love and to surround them with the reality of what we've experienced in you and in the community that you brought us here. Lord, we're thankful for the goodness of knowing you and loving you and following after you, And we just ask that we experience that more today. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, yes. And as as I mentioned, we are going to do a little church hike after the service. Um, So uh, there's a little trail just a little bit down East Bath Road before you get to State Road. And it's a new one. So hopefully if you're interested in that, let us know after the service. uh, And we'll make sure that we get everybody together, figure out when we're all headed over there. Uh, so we can do it together. Um, and it turns out it's a little chilly, but that's not bad for a walk, and the sun's out, so that's what matters, right? All right, well, today we're continuing in our journey through the Bible together, and we're looking at the book of 2 Samuel. And uh, so last week we looked at 1 Samuel, this week we're looking at 2 Samuel. Now, the thing, if you're familiar with 2 Samuel, that you probably would remember about the book is that 2 Samuel is all about David. 1 Samuel, Has a lot of David, but 2 Samuel is really all about David and his uh, work, his leadership, his kingship in the nation of Israel. And you know that David's pretty important for Israel. Even today, right, Israel, the the nation, has a flag, and on the flag they have the star of David. David is the, uh, if you think about Jerusalem, Jerusalem's still called today the city of David, Jesus, a few times, someone's excited about Jesus and who he is and what he's going to do. They'll call him the son of David, Uh, famously uh, Bartimaeus, the blind beggar who's uh, trying to get Jesus' attention as everyone's really excited about Jesus going to Jerusalem. Bartimaeus just won't stop calling for Jesus' attention, and he does it by calling him the son of David. It's a significant passage in that Bartimaeus is saying this Uh, the Messiah that God has sent, surely won't ignore the blind beggar. And Jesus doesn't and responds. He doesn't ignore him. He responds and heals him. Uh, So David is a complicated person in scripture because he's a human being and human beings are complicated. I think we can make that general statement. Overall, human beings are complicated people. Uh, While I was flying to Israel, I had got a book called The Historical David. I think I have a picture of it up there on the PowerPoint. And so I was reading about uh, this book that outlines what we know about the historical David, what we can piece together from the Bible. And the book Uh, I wasn't a fan of the book. I think on Goodreads I probably gave it like one star because the whole idea that the author had is that he was trying to show us in the book, he had this huge expose that David was not a good guy. And I was like, I've read the Bible. I know that. (laughs) I mean, The Bible doesn't try to hide from you that David has a lot of issues. Now, the Bible also says that David's a man after God's own heart, and at the same time it says that he's that it shows you all kinds of huge mistakes, huge sins, huge things that David should not have done. The Bible doesn't try to hide that from you. We can say, and we can acknowledge, as the book emphasized, that the writers of First and 2 Samuel are pretty pro-David. David established the kingdom of Israel. David wanted to follow the true God and made a lot of of steps in the right direction of saying, let's put away idols and let's follow after the true God. Let's try to be faithful to him. So the writer of First and Second Samuel is pro-David and kind of, if you want to say bias, whatever you want to say, is, is in favor of David and who he is, but does not at all try to hide from you the things that David did that were wrong and the consequences that came because of that includes all kinds of embarrassing details about David. It includes the fact that David has this, uh, the big thing about David, of course, is that he steals Uriah's wife Bathsheba, tries to have Uriah killed because of it, manages to do that successfully, and then everything in David's life unravels after that point. From that point on, David has a son who tries to start a civil war and take over the nation, that's a big moment in David's life where the writer of 2 Samuel is telling you he made a huge mistake and there were consequences for it, but he also recognized that huge mistake. So I was trying to think, I want to give you a general overview of the life of David, some important points in the life of David. So we're going to look at a few different passages today. And I was trying to think, every, every week I try to give you a, an action phrase to think about what message I've found as I've been looking at scriptures and I guess for me, when God says David is a man after my own heart, what I really think God is saying is that David gives a darn. <laughs> David, David gives a darn about what God wants. And for years and years, for centuries and centuries, God's been trying to find a leader who would just care about what God wants. David isn't perfect, not at all. David makes some huge mistakes, commits some terrible sins, but when it comes down to it, David cares about what God says. So I guess the message for me when I look at the life of David is do I give a darn? Do I care about what it is that God wants for me? All right, so let's look at a couple of examples from David's life of where we see about who David is. These uh, first example is going to be two passages tied to each other, and so I'll try to explain that for you. We're going to look at 2 Samuel chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, and then we'll look at 2 Samuel chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. Second Samuel 5 verses 6 through eight is where we'll start off. The king, meaning David, the king and his men marched to Jerusalem to attack the Jebusites who lived there. The Jebusites said to David, "You will not get in here, even the blind and the lame can ward you off." They thought, David cannot get in here. Nevertheless, David captured the fortress of Zion, which is the city of David. On that day David had said, "Anyone who conquers the Jebusites will have to use the water shaft to reach those blind and lame who are David's enemies. That is why they say, the blind and the lame will not enter the palace. And now we're going over to chapter nine, verses one through seven. If you have your Bible and you want to turn there, I'll give you a second to turn over to chapter nine, verses one through seven. David asked, "Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake?" Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David, and the king said to him, "Are you Ziba? At your service." He replied. The king asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul and you will always eat at my table. All right. I noticed that my mic pops. Anything I say, Mephibosheth. So anyway, uh, that'll happen when you say Mephibosheth. Uh, Chelsea didn't want to name one of our kids Mephibosheth, so it didn't happen. But uh, anyway, maybe a guinea pig someday. Who knows? Uh, all right. So this story, this story uh, we have here about Mephibosheth connects to, in my opinion, the story we see at the beginning about David taking over the city of Jerusalem. Huge deal in the life of David when David takes over the city of Jerusalem. As you see in the story, it was thought nobody could conquer Jerusalem unless the people who lived in Jerusalem pretty much, you know, destroyed themselves from the inside out for whatever reason. Maybe there was a plague, uh, you know, maybe there was some kind of civil unrest in the city. Uh, But if that didn't happen, Jerusalem's built on top of a hill. You can still see that today when you drive into Jerusalem. You have to go up a hill to get into Jerusalem. If you come out of Jerusalem, you go down a hill, you can feel your ears pop when you come out of Jerusalem because it's built on top of a hill. So, you know, if you're an attacking army, especially in the Bronze Age, and you're trying to take over a city that's built on a hill, that's a difficult challenge. You're probably not going to be successful. So there's this Uh, vignette given to us where the people living in Jerusalem, the Jebusites say, no way can you take over Jerusalem. Even the blind and lame can fend you off uh, because of the fortress that this city is and it's built on a hill. But David's successful because he is an incredibly successful and talented military commander. The the passage doesn't really explain how David did it, but his forces were smart enough, more uh, more powerful. They were able to figure out how to take over the city. And then you have this little interlude where uh, some of your Bibles, I forget which translation I was reading, will translate this and say, uh, this is why it is said, David hates the blind and the lame. That's one way you could translate this passage. And, and I bring that up because it would make sense in the context of David's day to have this concept of a king who says, I've got all the power, and any people who are weak and powerless, I don't want around me. And uh, any people that resist me and my rule, I want to eliminate them off the face of the earth. So if the passage that we read in 2 Samuel 5 was saying David just doesn't like blind and lame people, then you would find an interesting contrast between David and the son of David Jesus right because Jesus is all about the blind and the lame he comes and he announces the kingdom of God and says this is good news to the poor i'm going to give sight to the blind i'm going to heal the lame i'm going to help all those who are forgotten by the world i'm going to find them and they're brought into my kingdom and there'd be a great contrast between David and Jesus but i don't think that's actually what this passage is saying in chapter 5 it's, it's more mentioned as a proverb or a joke to say, David took over the city and the people who lived there said even the blind and the lame could fend you off, but they weren't successful. So David is, is king and, no, not even, and the blind and the lame are his enemies. It's more making fun of the Jebusites who tried to fend David off than it is saying anything about the blind and the lame. And we see that in the second passage. So I wanted to point out for you this huge military victory from David taking over Jerusalem, Coupled with this story of David showing kindness to Mephibosheth. You have to, there it is again. You have to realize that um, when David shows kindness to this grandson of his greatest enemy Saul, uh, that David is doing something that virtually no king of the time period in which he lived would do. It is incredibly unwise to allow the descendant of the person who was the king of the nation you're trying to rule to continue to live in that nation. It's incredibly unwise. It's incredibly unwise to let his line continue. And we notice later on in 2 Samuel that David has done this in a variety of different examples. He has not gone out of his way to go find all the descendants of Saul and wipe them off of the face of the earth. There's actually a story where Uh, this nation, the Gibeonites, they come to David and say, Saul and his family wronged us, so we deserve to be uh, compensated for that. And David allows them to do what they want to, to some of the descendants of Saul. But we can see that those descendants were not, they were not killed by David. David turns them over to the Gibeonites. And And that's, it's an interesting story because it also shows something about David's compassion Not that he turned the sons over, but in his response to the mother of those sons, who spends days and days uh, trying to protect the bodies and the bones of her children from the elements and the the animals around them. And and David responds to her with compassion and understanding, uh, which, again, it's just this picture of David is part of a brutal time period in human history where if you're a tribal chieftain, you cannot allow anyone to stand against you But David demonstrates a compassion that is virtually unparalleled in his day, and that's what we see here in the story of Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth is a lame, uh, a crippled person, a person that doesn't have the ability to move around and provide for themselves. But he still is a threat to David in that he is the continued line of David's greatest enemy. And David says, you're always going to have a place in my kingdom. And you also are going to have the land that your father, uh, your grandfather, Saul, that he used to possess. Not only am I going to continue to let you live, I'm going to give you back what was taken from your uh, grandfather when he was uh, killed. So this is part of what we see about David. David is willing to remember the forgotten. That's that's hugely important for us to think about with David. And again, when we go back to this idea of God saying, you're a man after my own heart, meaning that you you at least care about what I care about. When I look at this passage, I wonder, where in my life am I spending some time trying, trying to grow the seed of compassion in me? Uh, every day that I come to church, I go and check on my little seedlings that I'm growing. I have them in the prayer room and they're right by the window there, and I switch them around because, you know, they kind of lean towards the sun, and then you lean them the other way so that they're not all leaning one way. Every day I kind of see them grow a little bit, and I try to nurture them, and maybe I'll go in there and work, and I'll play some music while I'm working, because the plants love music. You know how that goes? But anyway, uh, as I see them grow, as I, try to, as I try to help them grow so that someday we can have some, some fruit from those plants, I'm reminded of this idea of, in David, God sees the seed of compassion. That when it comes down to it, David's instinct is to care for someone and to go beyond what anyone else in his position would do. And God values that and says, this is the man after my own heart. So I would suggest that for each one of us, we have a seed of compassion in us. Compassion may or may not be your natural instinct. I think there are probably two General kinds of people in the world, people whose instincts are more towards righteousness and then people whose instincts are more towards compassion. And neither one is wrong. We need both things in the world, righteousness and compassion. If the whole world were full of people like me, everyone would get away with everything and it'd be terrible. If the whole world were full of people exactly like Chelsea, no one would get away with anything ever. Right? So we need the two of us married and together raising children, hopefully in the right way, to guide them towards righteousness and compassion, as those are our natural instincts. Now I don't need to say, Chelsea is a very compassionate person, and I very much value righteousness, but our natural inclination is towards one side or the other. So in this passage I'm reminded that God wants to grow that seed of compassion in each one of us. So I guess for me, It reminds me to say where do i find those that seed of compassion in me most watered most encouraged most reached by the warmth of the sun because i need to focus on that that's what that god values in david i need to focus on that and say i value this i want this to continue maybe it you know it could be it happens when you listen when you're in your right spot listening to the right kinds of music throughout the day maybe that helps get your mind the right place uh, maybe it's starting off your day, as, as we should all suggest, with reading some scripture, with spending some time in prayer. That's helps me get my mind and my heart in the right place to be thinking and having a, a draw towards compassion. Maybe it is, in David's case, thinking about Jonathan, a man who sacrificed everything because of his love for David who put his love for David above his own loyalty to his father because he said, I see what God's doing in you, and I want to be a part of it. And David remembers Jonathan. And because of who Jonathan was and what Jonathan showed to David, David is led to show compassion for others. So who in your life has shown compassion to you, and how can you bring that person's mindset and heart into your interactions with others? All right, so G- so David remembers the forgotten. He cares about the blind and the lame, despite the kind of joking story that we heard earlier, and he shows that in his care for Mephibosheth. All right, so 2 Samuel 23 is where we're going to go next. 2 Samuel 23. Now, as a, as a young person, uh, 2 Samuel 23 was always one of my favorite passages in 2 Samuel because it tells you all these stories about David's mighty warriors. And if you... Uh, If you're like looking for an exciting book of the Bible to read, 2 Samuel is a pretty good choice because the story, 1 Samuel to 2 Samuel, because uh, David is really a story of King Arthur and Robin Hood and like all those stories of like adventurous leaders from past years. All those things are there. David has his mighty warriors, his round table. He's got his outlaw phase where he's trying to deceive the Philistines and and work behind the scenes against Saul, uh, but without hurting Saul. He's an outlaw, but he's got these guys all around him. Uh, All interesting stories, uh, and a lot of those are recounted for us in 2 Samuel 23. But we have this interesting story in 2 2 Samuel 23, verses 13 through 17, of three of David's most powerful warriors and something they did for David. And It's kind of funny, but I think it illustrates something about what people loved about David and what God loved about David. So, 2 Samuel 23, verses 13 through 17. During harvest time, three of the 30 chief warriors came down to David at the cave of Adullam while a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Ephraim. At that time, David was in the stronghold and the Philistine garrison was at Bethlehem. David longed for water and said, Oh, that someone would get me a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. So the three mighty warriors broke through the Philistine lines, drew water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem, and carried it back to David. But he refused to drink it. Instead he poured it out before the Lord. Far be it from me, Lord, to do this, he said. Is it not the blood of men who went at the risk of their lives? And David would not drink it. So at a surface level, I think this passage is pretty funny. Uh, David is in a stronghold. The Philistines have control of Bethlehem, and David says, man, I really wish I could have a drink from this great well that was in my hometown of Bethlehem. And three of David's mighty warriors break through enemy lines, break into an enemy encampment, go and get a glass of water, a cup of water, bring it back to David, and David is so happy he pours it out. It's kind of like if, if, if Chelsea, you know, sometimes she might ask me, you know, can you get me a blizzard from Dairy Queen or can you get me a coffee forever? If I went out in you know, a, a cold rainy night and after I've, you know, watched this or whatever and I, I, I got that blizzard, I brought it back and she dumped it on the ground, I would not feel that she was thankful for what I had done right and that's kind of what david's done here so what what's really going on this passage you know i can just picture the three mighty warriors these huge warriors who just broke through carved of things they give they give david the cup and he pours you can just imagine their jaws dropping what are you doing that's why we just but in this moment in this moment it's it's not pictured for us obviously as something david's doing to insult them what David is doing, notice very specifically it says he pours out this water before the Lord. And what he's saying in this moment is the, va- uh, the life and the well-being of these men is far more important than my own life and well-being. And their sacrifice, their loyalty to me, is something I give over to God. That is hugely powerful for everyone who falls after David. And that is the kind of leadership that God values. Does David always demonstrate this in his life? Absolutely not. He makes some pretty terrible decisions as a leader, but this is the seed that God values in David, to say, everyone who relies on me, everyone who looks to me as a leader, I want to give over to God and his desires and what it is that he wants for them in their their lives. Uh, If you're not real active on social media, good for you. (laughs) But every now and then, you run into different controversies. And one of the controversies I saw recently was somebody absolutely losing their mind over a crying baby on a plane. And for some reason, I thought about this passage. And it's not about me getting up here and say, wow, what a jerk to be upset about a crying baby on a plane. Yeah. And I understand crying babies are are very hard to deal with. You might not mentally be in a place to deal with it. Certainly, I'm not always in a middle place to deal with it. And you find a way through, you find a way through. Babies don't cry, don't worry. Uh, but, but the, uh, So you find, a way, you find a way to get through and you find a way to love, <laughs> love and follow uh, Jesus in the middle of those things and show love to, to, in those situations that are tough. But the thing that struck me in that moment was just how far away from this moment in the life of David we are as a society that we could get to a place where we hear a baby crying and and our reactions in so many cases would be how can i how can i get rid of this this annoyance and this disruption to my day or that we would even get to a place where we hear someone who's just absolutely losing their mind over a baby crying and say and not get to the place of saying what is wrong with this person's life like where is it that they haven't been loved and they haven't been experiencing what it is to be just you know, not able to control your emotions and not able to get the help that you need and crying out for help. Nowhere in our society do I see a consistent thread of someone who says, this life that I see in front of me This life that I've been brought into connection with is devoted over to Jesus. He brought this life into being. This person has value and inherent worth, not because of what they've said or what they've done or what they've not said or what they've not done, but because Jesus himself designed them as as intricately as any artist could design any beautiful work of art. This person has been designed by by that God who created me, that God who called me into relationship with himself. And so who they are and what they are doing is not just a throwaway experience, it is part and parcel of what God is doing in me, so I need to care about them. In this moment, that's what David does for his three mighty men. He says, what you are and what you're capable of being and everything that you are that God has brought into my life, I do not take for granted. So if I want to follow the example of David, if I want to be a man after God's own heart, That's how I'm meant to see the people around me. All right, one more passage to look at. 2 Samuel, we're going to flip back to chapter 12. Uh, It's hugely important that we don't ignore 2 Samuel chapters 11 through 12, because like I said, this is the worst mistake of David's life. So I want to take us to the ending of this scene where David uh, has made the mistake. He has Uh, he has committed the terrible sin of committing adultery, uh, possibly rape with Bathsheba, and having uh, Bathsheba's husband killed. And now Bathsheba uh, is pregnant, and the baby is uh, going to die. God has told him, yes, the baby is not going to make it. And so David spends days and days fasting about this, praying that God would spare this baby. And now we're going to see the ending to that story. So 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 19 through 23. 2 Samuel twelve, nineteen through 23. David noticed that his attendants were whispering among themselves, and he realized the child was dead. Is the child dead, he asked. Yes, they replied, he is dead. Then David got up from the ground. After he had washed, put on lotions, and changed his clothes, he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. Then he went to his own house, and at his request, they served him food, and he ate his attendants asked him, why are you acting this way? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept, but now that the child is dead, you get up and eat? He answered, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, who knows, the Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now that he is dead, why should I go on fasting? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. I, Reading commentaries on this chapter, I feel like I'm not saying that I know more than Old Testament commentaries, but I feel like a lot of the commentators uh, missed the emotion of this passage. David in this passage is not saying this child wasn't important to me. David in this passage is saying what is happening in this situation is me telling God you're in charge of my life, and I have messed everything up, my life has fallen apart, and others have paid for the consequences of my actions, and so everything that I do needs to be focused on winning and seeking the compassion of God because of the the sins that I've committed. In this passage, the whole story of, of Nathan the prophet confronting David about this The whole story that follows this of David's son Absalom betraying his father and trying to take over the nation, of David constantly repenting of his failures before God, is to remind us that nothing is a bigger priority in our lives than saying to God, I need to be right with you. Whatever sin I've committed in the past that continues to have effects today whatever sin I find myself trapped in today and coming back to again and again like a dog returns to its vomit, like scripture says, it just is there all the time and I'm always going to be finding it wherever I look. I need to turn that over to Jesus. I need to say, Jesus, you need to solve that problem in my life. I need to take that seriously and with every ounce of my being say, make me right before you. And that's what we see David do in this passage. It's also what we see, and how I want to kind of close today, I want to read to you from Psalm 51. From Psalm 51. Um, See, when I read that book about David, the thing that struck me about the book is that the writer of the book assumed that David didn't write a single psalm, that somebody else probably wrote those psalms. And that, to me, is the key mistake for not understanding why David was different. Because if you've read a psalm, you know that that is a different kind of king. That is a king who can make some, some terrible mistakes. You can get caught up in the Bronze Age, kill or be killed mindset of his world. But someone who had his heart knows that a different kind of life is possible. So I'm going to read to you real uh, briefly from Psalm 51. So Psalm 51 says, For the director of music, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. So think about David writing this psalm as he is fasting and praying for his child. And the the thing that gets me about reading the story of David is that so many times you can look and say, I know exactly where you messed up, David. Why did you do that, you idiot? But I'm sure when someone looks at the book of my life, they'll say the same things, right, about you know, why did you make that decision? But it reminds me of the son of David, Jesus, who comes. Because Jesus is the one who is tempted in every way, just as we are, Hebrews tells us, but was without sin. So he knows everything that we go to, but he always says yes to God. He's the one who always cares about what the Father wants for him. I need that life in me. So let's live in that presence and in that reality each and every day. Amen.